Hey everybody, welcome to a kind of sort of special edition of the OIG Roundtable. The table's not round, there's nobody else from the OIG but me, Julie Janeway, our general counsel. We wanted to wrap up 2023 with a quick discussion about something that is going to become a requirement starting January 1st of 2024 that... Uh, I think a lot of smaller practices and businesses aren't aware of. It's called the Corporate Transparency Act of 2021. It was actually passed in 2020, and then it was put into effect in 2021. And the first year of reporting is going to be January 1st of 2024. For those of you that are familiar with FinCEN, which is an offshoot of the Department of Treasury for things like currency transaction reports and the like, this is part of what is going to be part of FinCEN. So, Julie, Tell us a little bit about what this is and why it is important for providers to understand. It's uh, it's hi everybody out there in TV land. Um, uh, it's really important because this uh, this is is national reporting, much like you have to report your taxes. Okay, um, so it goes into effect on January first of twenty twenty four. Uh, I'm going to, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, there is uh, also reporting, some of you may not have to report in 2024, um, technically, but technically all of you, best best practice will be all of you will do that. So what's the point of this Corporate Transparency Act? Yep, it's part of FinCEN, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. Um, it, this is a global initiative. Uh, so literally like more than 150 countries in the world are all going to do this um, and they will share information. So the point of this is to combat the use of shell companies. In many countries, shell companies are illegal, uh, much of Asia, I can tell you. Um, and because shell companies are often used for illicit activities such as money laundering, terrorism financing, for which health care fraud is a major contributor in this country, hate to tell you that, and all kinds of other illegal activities uh, that go on, including human trafficking and all manner of things. Yeah, that's it's important. And so, the, you know, the thing about FinCEN and, um, and the requirements for reporting, it's a law enforcement tool, uh, and you bring up a good point, which is the shell companies. And one of the biggest challenges in conducting any fraud investigation, and I can tell you from the experience that I had at the OIG in healthcare fraud, is shell companies are a huge problem and tracing uh, all of that money. So what this is really going to do is it's going to require reporting companies to register what is known as personally identifiable information. And so there's going to be some PII that's going to have to be reported. Uh, for what they call the beneficial owners. Beneficial owners are not nominal owners. Beneficial owners are the actual owners. Nominal owners are sometimes known as straw owners or the things that create shell companies. And so what this is going to do is it's going to create an environment where beneficial owners are going to have to report to FinCEN through the Department of Treasury on uh, who the owners are. And it's just a few pieces of information, and we'll talk in a minute about how companies can do that. But reporting companies, here's the catch, reporting companies that are formed or registered to do business in the U.S. after January 1st of 2024 will be required to submit this beneficial ownership information to FinCEN within 30 days of formation or registration. So the question is going to be, what happens if your company existed before January 1st of 2024? So if you're an existing company that's been in effect before 
January 1st of 2024, you've got uh, a you've got to get that stuff done. You've got a year to do that reporting because you've got to get your ducks in a row. You've got to get it done. The the easiest way to do it is when you file your taxes, you have your accountant or your attorney do it as part of that. So uh, so, Julie, let's talk a little bit about some of the definitions. Right. So let's talk about what reporting companies are and let's talk about like, you know, who's really in, impacted by this. All right. So reporting companies, any company in the United States, foreign, meaning meaning international, doing business here, or domestic, meaning that it's an American-based company, um, whether it's a corporation, limited liability company, professional limited liability company, um, an LLP, uh, it doesn't matter what it is, okay, a trust um and our real estate investment trust um all manner of things okay all manner of things so basically if it's created by filing some form with a state government or district of columbia or the territories and other possessions of the united states if it's with some government and it creates your company then that means that you are technically a reporting company also indian tribes might i add Okay, um, so when you uh, when you are are considering whether you have to report, you also then want to go and look at what are the excluded types of entities. So the excluded type of entities, Eric's going to tell us about those. Yeah, so not everybody is going to have to be part of this, right? So we don't want to pull the panic switch on this. Um, but there were a couple of uh, instances in which there's going to be an exclusion. And but I'm going to tell you that, you know, in our review of this uh, and Julie's been to some training courses and we've talked about this a little bit uh, internally is the fact that a lot of provider groups that are out there are going to be included. So there are some regulations that you can cross reference through uh, internal revenue code. So 501As, 501Cs, 508As, 527As, by the way, I'm reading this off of some cheat sheets because nobody should know this off the top of their head. And 527E1s, people know 501Cs. I don't even know what a 527 is. I know the other ones, but I don't know what those are. True story. Most people know 501C3, right? Because that's going to be not-for-profits and everybody knows that. But accounting firms, insurance companies, security dealers, credit unions, banks, and what are known as large operating organizations. And a large operating organization for the purposes of this statute are going to be organizations that employ more than 20 full-time people, more than. So if you have 20 or less, or you have a combination that are 20 or less full-time and part-time employees, because it's full-time, um, you are going to be excluded. Now, a lot of healthcare practices have less than 20 full-time employees. So if you have less than 20, you're going to be affected by this. You're going to have to file on a yearly basis this personal identifiable information as it relates to the beneficial owner, right? So that's number one. Number two, if you have an operating presence at a physical office in the United States, so even if a lot of the work that you do is offshore, but you've got a physical office in the United States, and you've got more than 20 full-time employees in the United States, right? that's when you're going to be exempt. So again, putting this back in, if you've got a small practice and you've got less than 20 employees, your practice is obviously here in the U.S., you're going to be part of it. And then C or number three in the statute is that you have filed a federal income tax return uh, for the previous year demonstrating more than $5 million 
in gross receipts. So you've got to have, it's all three. It's not or, it's and. So it's 20 or more full-time employees will get you exempt. It's a physical presence in the U.S. And it's $5 million or more in gross receipts. So it's all three. So if you aren't meeting all three pieces of the puzzle for an exclusion, you're going to have to file. So you could be a small practice of two or three or five full-time employees, and you could be making 20 or $30 million in gross receipts. You're going to be affected by this because you must meet all of them. The key piece of this, as the lawyers love to say, is when it's and, all three pieces of criteria are going to be part of the metric that's going to require you having to do this. So, Julie, I want to wrap this up because this isn't that technical. Let's talk about beneficial owners because that sure. becomes an important piece of this. I find it humorous that Eric didn't say, and by the way, don't not file your taxes and commit tax evasion just to get out of reporting. <laughs> okay, so what's a beneficial owner? First of all, it deals with the natural people. Okay, so companies can own part of another company, you know, uh, all kinds of different things like that. But we're talking about the human owners, um, you know, how they say corporations are people too. Well, we'll leave that to your decision. But nonetheless, under the law, they technically are. This deals with natural owners. And we're only talking about those people who have an ownership interest that, exer that, that exercise substantial control over the reporting company, over the company, uh, or, or here's an or, uh, owns or controls at least 25% of the ownership interests of the company. Now, there are two tests to determine whether you deal with these. We're going to give you a, um, a link to a phenomenal resource from our friends at the Catton firm, big national and international firm, um, that you can look up those little tests and see if you fit, okay? Um, also, company applicants, for any of you who are out there who are attorneys or are married to attorneys or love an attorney or somewhat hate an attorney, I don't know, um, company applicants have to be identified. And these are people that, one, uh, an individual who directly files a document to, to file the, uh, to create the organization or to keep it going year <clears throat> after year, those annual reports with a state or as I defined that or the individual who is primarily responsible for directing or controlling the filing. So these two people, and oftentimes it's the lawyer who does the filing, but it's the business owner who does the controlling. So even lawyers get hooked into this um, in having to, to file RPII as well. Um, there are is a good example, if that doesn't make sense to you, it's a, an example in our, um, our resource that we're putting in for you. Tell us about the nasty penalties, Eric. Yeah, so of course, with any statute or regulation, uh, failure to abide by the regulatory guidance that's out there will always lead to penalties, whether they are uh, criminal or civil. In this case, there are uh, the potential for there being both criminal and civil penalties. So uh, if you don't willfully provide um, this information and, or, or you provide false or fraudulent or misleading information, right? So anything involving an error or an omission. So for my healthcare people out there, think about in terms of a CMS clean claim, a clean claim is defined as something that is free of errors, omissions, 
um, or failures to provide you know, truthful information. It's the same thing. It's false, fraudulent, or misleading information on the beneficial owner, meaning not the straw owner, who's the actual owner, um, and failing to complete or provide updated information. You can get a civil penalty up to $500 a day. So this is very much in line with where things are going on um, things like price transparency, the No Surprises Act, and things of that sort. Um, you can get a fine of not uh, not more than $10,000, so it's a civil penalty of $500 per day. But if it is determined that you're doing this with willfulness or intent, and you can be criminally charged under this for the false filing, it's $10,000 and imprisonment up to two years. So, you know, you got it. You got to get these in. So, Julie, I want to give you the, the last piece of this, which is, you know, we talk a lot about compliance corporate governance. We talk a lot about in the FWA and compliance context, the importance of a compliance plan and how this is probably going to be something that becomes part of it. So this is part of that governance, right? Mm -hmm. It is. And you, and so many practices out there, so many healthcare entities, not just practices, not picking on you guys. Um, you don't have good governance compliance. I spend a lot of time with clients cleaning up all of your governance because you should. It gives you liability, a certain amount of liability protection and a number of other things. It keeps your business open. It keeps your EIN from expiring, your, you know, your tax ID number, all kinds of things. Your mandatory, and let me say it again, people, mandatory. By the way, your corporate governance or your, your business does not limit it to corporate, but your business governance is also mandatory under state laws. So those two things are mandatory and now they're going to require this. OK, it's going to be part and parcel the same as your taxes are. Uh, so call me if you don't have these things, you don't know how to do it. You can call us here to advise. Give us an email. We'll drop our emails in for you and uh, me, Eric, uh, Emily Wolfston, any of us, and we can help you with those things. OK, get you up to up to speed and get you cleaned up. Um, the synopsis that we're going to give you, um, it, download it. And if your accountant or your attorney is unaware, and there, I hate to say it, there are many, many attorneys, especially health law attorneys, because this is tends to be more of a business attorney thing. I happen to be many of these, wear many of these hats. They aren't aware of this. So give them this document, shoot it over to them electronically and help bring them up to speed as well. But get your filings in fast uh, and don't try and wait till the end of the year because you will forget. That's why we're saying tie it to your taxes, and then you're then you're good for the year. OK, so thank you for your time and attention. Happy New Year to all of you from Advise. And if we can help you out with anything, we offer a ton of different services. Give us a call. I'm always here. Your friendly attorney and uh, we'll see you in the new year. Yeah, thanks everybody for tuning in. Have a great new year and we'll see you in 2024 with an all new bunch of OIG roundtables, LinkedIn lives and a whole bunch of new stuff coming out from Julie and Emily and the legal team. See you next year, everyone. Bye-bye.